Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to ADHD Chatter. My name is Alex Partridge. I'm your host. This week, we're incredibly lucky to have Adelaide Saywell with us. Adelaide is a ADHD and autistic content creator who has amassed a following of over 600,000 people on her social medias. And, and her energy is, is infectious. And you can see why. Adelaide, thank you so much for joining us. You are super welcome. <laughs> I was laughing, actually, just because I, I was thinking about the the meeting we had. I always like to meet my guests before the main recording. And I remember mm-hmm. when we did our pre-meet, your, your doorbell rang and it was... A, 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 <laughs> it was a surprise <laughs> parcel that I ordered myself. <laughs> the surprise, yeah, I, it's, it's so relatable because you, you order something. And are you, are you happy to, to, to share what it was or, or are you... Uh, yeah, so I uh, ordered some claws and some earrings uh, online in the, at some point I don't remember when I'd ordered them uh, but I was pleasantly surprised to get a parcel <laughs> um, <laughs> a few days afterwards uh, but yeah it was uh, just some clothes and some earrings oh yeah. it was funny it was so f- g- g- going back and just I like to ask all my guests the same question mm-hmm. is is with your understanding of neurodiversity now if you mm-hmm. were to look back into your early years into your childhood what do you think is one of your earliest memories of displaying traits i'd probably say like i've never been able to keep a hobby so when i was like really young i know that my mum tried to get me into like morris dancing or karate or doing swim like doing swimming or doing something and i just could never stick at it i'd do it like two or three times and then i just had zero interest in it like at all and looking back now, that makes a lot of sense um, because obviously the ADHD. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably one of the biggest indicators was the fact that as a child, I never had hobbies or mm. I seemingly had a million hobbies that just never amounted to to a full-time hobby, <laughs> if that makes sense. It was always just something that I loved for a little bit and then just then just did not like at all. Um and taking things quite literally when I was younger as well. I didn't really understand like idioms and things. 
And if people would say like, oh, you know, can't have your cake and eat it. I was like, <laughs> well, yeah, because why would I want to buy your cake and not eat it? And I just didn't like fully understand idioms like at all um, mm. from being like really super young. Yeah. That boom and bust cycle that I think you were referring to, like just mm-hmm. starting a hobby and, and then just losing interest in it. That's I think every guest that I've had on has sort of said similar. Um, yeah. Has that carried on like throughout your life, that, that, that pattern of behavior? Yeah. Um, so I still don't feel like I have like a permanent hobby. Um, I did uh, start doing pole dancing um, a little over a year ago and it was incredible and I still do go but not as regularly as I would like to but I just I just I just like I'm getting bored of it and I don't want to get bored of it I so don't want to get bored of it because I know that I love it and it's fun and it's engaging so it's kind of trying to push past that little this little blip of this is boring now and Mm. trying to start going back uh, maybe learn some new moves or something so that I can sort of get the dopamine back from it but yeah like right up until right now at the ripe old age of 29 I still struggle to maintain hobbies and that that goes for like any kind of hobby like even if I'm like really really interested in it I'll just suddenly then I'm just not or if I am interested in it I just don't have the motivation I guess to like actually engage in it I just kind of don't which is annoying when you want to. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's like just talking to a mirror. It's so relatable. And I think mm-hmm. when, when, you, when that happens and you feel that kind of excitement coming on, when you think of a new idea and you want mm-hmm. to rush and act on it immediately, like, are you, do you have that self-awareness now to kind of hold back or can you not fight that urge um, to, to crack on? <laughs> I can and I can So like, it really depends. So sometimes I'm like, I know that I don't need to spend... A stupid amount of money on all these new equipments for this brand new hobby that I know for a fact I'm not going to enjoy in a month's <laughs> time but in the moment it it feels overwhelming to not do it it mm. kind of feels like but you have to but you just need to and it's like a it's like an urge so I am self-aware and I do know that I know this hobby isn't going to be something that I'm going to stick at so I don't really need to do spend all of my money on it um and I have gotten a lot better at it like restraining myself so what I do is I will start to plan it because I find and I don't know if this is the same for you or any other ADHD people but I find I get more dopamine from the plan than the actual action itself Mm. and so I love making lists and buying new notebooks to like start a new plan on a fresh new page in a fresh new notebook with fresh new pens and that's a much cheaper alternative (laughs) than spending a fortune on a new hobby so what I'll do is I'll kind of compromise with my own brain and I'll buy like a new notebook and new pens and I'll plan the hobby and I'll plan like different things that I can do and then give it a couple of weeks and I'm like oh yeah I'm bored of that now like, mm. yeah it was just a weird ADHD hyperfixation that I'm, I'm glad I didn't waste money on um so I do find that really helpful uh, so I still get the dopamine from the planning which is what I just love making lists I never thought of it like that and actually it's so true you you, mm-hmm. you can get just as much joy or even more from the thought of doing something yeah and then it you you buy that domain or you you buy some whatever it is and it turns up and and even if you still have that interest in it it might not be as much as Mm -hmm. the the, the dopamine the the thought of doing it yeah it's because like you when you've got ADHD a lot of the times you can't tell if something is like real or not and I don't like I don't know how to explain this but sometimes we have like false memories because we feel like we've 
done something because we've thought about doing it. So that's why you get so much dopamine from like making lists and planning it because our ADHD brain can't actually tell the difference between us planning the thing and doing the thing. So we get the same amount of dopamine as we would from actually doing it from mm. just the plan, um, which is why it's so helpful for me personally to do that before I like engage in the hobby. Because then if I'm still really, really invested and really interested, I'm like, okay, maybe this is like, maybe I do genuinely really like this. But if after the whole planning and blah, 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 and I'm no longer that interested, I'm like, okay, right. We can slack this off now. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you're in that obsession, you can't, maybe you can sometimes, but sometimes you just, you can't fight it and you mm -hmm. make the purchase or you impulse buy the thing that you need to get started. Has that ever got you into any like financial trouble? Yeah. Klarna and me have got like, you need to ban me. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have um, to silence that laugh, laugh bit. That was, uh, <laughs> I didn't expect you to say that. <laughs> this is where I kind of am glad I'm also autistic. So I do have a very strict routine and rule with my money. And I've got like two bank accounts, one that all of my bills come out of, and then one that is like my own money and then any like unnecessary bills, such as like I pay for like Spotify premium or my like epidemic sound account comes out of there because it's not an essential. So it's never gotten me in trouble to a point where I've not been able to pay my bills and rent because I mm. don't use the money in that account. But it has gotten me into like financial problems where I've become overdrawn or I've like not been able to afford to get myself like toilet roll before. And I've had to like bring my friends and be like, I have like zero money in my bank account and I can't like, I, I can't even get any toilet roll. And they've had to like literally buy me toilet roll because I've struggled with impulse buying and then it's like spiraled um but I don't find that I have that issue as much anymore I do feel like I'm a little bit more sensible um and I'm more aware when I'm doing it and then doing the listing has, has really helped as well and I have friends that I talk to now as well and say like I'm like really struggling not to spend all of my money and like <laughs> buy things that I don't need uh, so can you like talk to me like distract me with something um, which is really helpful as well. But yeah, that's a, it's an issue. <laughs> I think a lot of people with ADHD have had like financial troubles. And I think like a lot of us, like I, for me personally anyway, like it's something that I've been like so deeply embarrassed about because I'm very like, I think the word is proud. Like I get really uh, uncomfortable about money and lending money and I just don't. And I very rarely ask for help with money because I feel like, I, if I need something, I should purchase it myself. And I like, if I don't have the money for something, then I just physically can't have it. Like, that's just how like I am. And I'm just very like peculiar about asking for help um, when it comes to money. So I think being able to be so strict with my, like my bills account and have routine that way, and then be able to be self-aware and know that if I do this, then I'm going to struggle in a couple of weeks. It has like, it's, Oh, it has its benefits like being mm. able to do that um and I used to be I am really embarrassed that I do struggle like financially and stuff with like impulse spending but I know that a lot of people with ADHD do and it's nothing that we need to be embarrassed or ashamed of because it's not something that we're doing on purpose and not something that like we can help a lot of the time but yeah 
I went off on a tangent there. That's my ADHD. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, 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 last week I had a, an ADHD accountant on, a money coach, and I put a, a post out on my Instagram saying that she was coming on and what was the biggest a question you wanted me to ask mm-hmm. her and it was just flooded with help with my impulse purchase mm-hmm. but, so yeah i mean it is clearly a massive problem a massive issue with you know with with the adhd brain and that impulse mm-hmm. purchasing do you think you're and I, I i'm not too knowledgeable on this so forgive me if i if i get the wording wrong do you think your autistic brain kind of helps you with the the using things like that app and managing money slightly better than if if you didn't have that sort of like organized side of your brain yeah I do I think if I wasn't also autistic I would struggle a lot more financially I think me being autistic and being such so like rigid and routine with my money for specific things and like making sure like I have all of my payments going on the exact same day so that I know everything is paid so if I need to dip into that account to say buy food or, or like actual essentials, I know that I can and it'd be fine. And I don't feel like I would have that sort of control, I suppose, if I if I wasn't autistic. And I do think that the impulsive side would be a lot more impulsive, if that makes sense. I, mm. I do think I would struggle more if I wasn't also autistic. So that does help. doesn't help with a other things that I need routine for <laughs> but <laughs> with money stuff it does it has like really helped like balance uh, things out for me. You mentioned that you you've recently been diagnosed as autistic right? Yeah so I got my autism diagnosis probably a month and a half two months ago um, and then my ADHD diagnosis I got last April. Mm. And you mentioned earlier you're, you're 29 and so were there many things that happened in your life that were clues to point towards I suppose ADHD and autism yeah looking back now it was so obvious um but at the time I think ADHD was kind of known as like naughty boy syndrome um and yeah yeah ADHD was known as that and then autism was like no one really knew anything about autism really and I, th- I think I was missed because I just did not display the same traits as my brother did. Um, but I was constantly daydreaming or like in parents' evenings and stuff. It was, oh, she'd be so bright if she just tried harder. Or, oh, she's a pleasure to teach, but she gets distracted easily. And it was all of these like little things where it was like, I don't know why I'm like that, but I am. And I'll try and concentrate. And in school, I found it so hard because me trying to concentrate was me yelling at myself in my head to try and concentrate. So then I was just not paying attention to what was going on. And then the teacher would be like, oh, Adelaide, what's blah, 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 what I just said? And I'd be like, oh, oh, I don't know. But I was trying so hard. And so to be told to constantly try harder, even though I felt like I was trying as hard as I could, um, and I didn't really engage with other children very often. I found it really difficult to make and maintain friendships with people. Apparently, um, a story my mum told me was I had a really, really close friend. She stole something from a shop, like a, like a, some sweets. And then I just no longer wanted to be a friend because I was like, no, that's wrong. You can't, no, it's not okay. You can't do that. Uh, because I had like a really super strong sense of justice. Um, I struggled with social cues. I was always told that I was 
more childish than my peers because my interests didn't really grow the same way that my peers' interests grew. So I was still watching cartoons and Disney Channel and having teddies and playing with dolls or whatever until like way into high school when I shouldn't have been. Um, and I didn't realise that I shouldn't have been doing that until I was told. I still believed in Santa until I was like in high school. My mum and dad had to sit me down and be like, your Santa's not real. And I was like, well, why would you lie? Like, why would mm. you lie to me? Um, because I took everything quite literally. Uh, and then other things like during like college and uni, still not being able to maintain friends, no matter how hard I tried, just always feeling like an outsider and just not being able to engage correctly and understand how to engage and like know what was like acceptable and what wasn't. So it often led to a lot of misunderstandings with people, a lot of like times that I really like, I really like discussing things, especially when you have, when you're discussing it with someone who has a different opinion to you, because I love learning. And so I really enjoy having discussions, but the amount of times that I've thought I was having a discussion with someone that's been then, I don't want to argue with you. And I'm like, I, but what? I didn't know that this was an argument. I thought we were just talking. And I just, I can't tell the difference between an argument and a discussion. But it's, so then doing things like that made me seem very opinionated mm. around people. So they didn't really want to engage in conversations with me when I was just enjoying learning what they thought. Um, so yeah, it was kind of like that my entire life. Um, so I was, I was profusely bullied throughout my whole entire life. Um, never really had friends, didn't have any real hobbies. I got diagnosed with depression really, really young um, because of my like RSD symptoms that manifested from when I was younger, just like never feeling good enough and stuff. So that's just been like an ongoing thing up until like recently. And I'm like learning to manage it a little bit better. Wow. I mean, there's so much relatability there. And thanks for really being as honest as you were just then. Mm -hmm. um, I think there'll be a lot of people listening, sort of, you know, putting their hands up and saying that sounds like, like yeah. me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah I certainly related to a lot of that when did you go through the, the process of, of seeking an assessment and, and getting a diagnosis of ADHD so I went to my GP originally just before Covid hit so it was like 2019 and I asked for um, an ADHD assessment because I was struggling to keep my like cool uh, and like to remain calm in situations and I found I worked in customer service and I was spending like most of my shift crying in the toilets because I couldn't regulate my emotions and I would get really really upset when people were yelling at me on the like on the phones and things and I was like this just isn't normal like I shouldn't be like I'm a grown adult like I should not be crying on like not being able to understand how I'm feeling and so I went and spoke to my GP who honestly said, ah, oh, no, girls don't have that. Hmm. And I was like, uh, just test me. <laughs> let's just see. Let's just find out. Um, and so the process was like, honestly, ridiculous. And for somebody with ADHD, the process was not very ADHD friendly. So I got referred. And when I was referred, I had a phone call and they had to do a mini assessment to make sure I met the criteria in order to be referred, which I did, shockingly. Um, it was like, oh, actually, yeah, you kind of meet everything. 
<laughs> we're definitely gonna refer you. And then when I was referred, a few months later, I received another another phone call from the ADHD team, and they had to do another like a mini assessment. And depending on what I scored, they would either give me a full assessment or say, you know, you have some symptoms of ADHD, but it's not enough that we want to give you a diagnosis. I was like, that's the first time I've ever gotten 10 out of 10 on an exam. Like, <laughs> five colours. I was like, yeah, I, I know. I, like, at this point, it was kind of like, it's so completely obvious. Like, everything they're saying, it's so obvious it's ADHD. And then I had my full assessment. And the gentleman was like giggling with me and he was like, you've not sat still this entire time. Like your mind has been everywhere. When he was asking questions, I was like going off on tangents and trying to like over explain. Um, and so I did, I got diagnosed with combined ADHD, which is really like not very common in, um, in like the ADHD community. Most people do get either um, hyperactive or inattentive. Um, and I think combines the least uh, the least common diagnosis and inattentive is the most common, uh, particularly in, in men. So yeah, it was a, it was nice to get the diagnosis and the validation, uh, that came with that was really nice. It also came with like a little bit of grief, um, and sadness for the life I could have had, um, because of the way I was treated because of a lot of my ADHD symptoms. And that was the same for my autism as well. When I got my diagnosis, it took three years, um, and then I just, I sobbed after I got my diagnosis of, of autism because I was like, I genuinely have been bullied my entire life and like really taken advantage of a lot of the times because of, because of my like, my brain and the way that it is and punished for things that I couldn't help and never understand in um, situations. And so I got really sad thinking about if I would have been diagnosed as a child, would I have been happier? Like, would I have still been diagnosed with depression? Would I have still ended up in a mental health hospital would I have still you know had all of the things that have had that have happened happen or, or would it have been different um so that was a a lot to kind of deal with um but I am really really glad and happy that I got both of the diagnoses and then it's a lot of clarification for me and it, it just makes me feel a little bit more comfortable in my own skin if that makes sense <laughs> That makes total sense. And I mean, it's such an amazing story. And um, yeah. again, thanks for being so honest there. I mean, I bet you want to go back to that GP who said that it, it doesn't, it's not a thing in, in women. And, and sort Yeah, of, I'd be like, <laughs> well, <laughs> it's like the ADHD specialist, because I asked if there was anything like available for, for adults, um, like, you know, like groups where we can meet up and talk or like, act like activities or anything. And she's like, no, it's, it's really new in adults. It's like, <laughs> is it because <laughs> every child diagnosed does actually grow into an adult so um it's mad that they don't actually like they're only just now actually seeing adhd as, as a lifelong neurological condition as opposed to a behavioral problem in kids um so there's still a lot more growing for like professionals to do and stuff but i do think it's going in the right direction and people now are going to get a lot more help than they would have done like 20 years ago Mm. yeah from what i see now you look you look you look very comfortable in your own skin you know which is amazing and it's so nice yeah. to see and, and the, the content that you make on social media again it's it's you seem genuinely authentic and you know mm -hmm. that word gets thrown around a lot but you genuinely do you seem to really be able to put your 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 true self forward and yeah. i suppose the the topic i'm alluding to is masking and i'm wondering if if that's something that you've only recently been able to do and if sort of the pre-diagnosis and the, the 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 younger adelaide 
but wasn't so able to to be herself is that would yeah. you, is that true yeah so i masked like pretty much as soon as any negative comments came about the way that i was acting it was like right i need to act this way to be loved i need to be make sure I look a certain way in order for people to want me around. And I was miserable growing up. I was really sad. I was a really, really sad person. And I never really felt like I could ever feel happy. I didn't feel like that was an emotion that I I had access to, I suppose. I was always just never enough but too much all at the same time. And I tried really hard to be enough for everybody. And so I ended up becoming a horrendous uh, people pleaser, which <laughs> uh, got me in a lot of trouble um, because I would do things I didn't want to do um, purely for other people's sake and to make other people happy. Um, and it wasn't until I started realizing I was ADHD and autistic and I had a therapist whose name was Charlotte and I really hope she hears me say this because she saved my life. She was incredible. Like she truly listened to me. She really helped me see that a lot of things that were going on in my life weren't my fault. And, you know, I sat with her while she did a lot of self-work with me um, to help me with my people pleasing and setting boundaries. And she helped me sort of see that I am a person that's worth loving. And I'm a person that deserves to be loved because uh, I'd never felt that before. And now I know that so many people must feel the exact same way that I do. And that genuinely breaks my heart and makes me feel really sad that there are kids and adults out there who sit at home just not feeling like who they are is okay. And so if I can post content that makes people feel seen and feel valid and feel like they are okay being who they are even if it only helps one person then that's that is more than enough for me like I just want people to not feel as alone as I did and to feel as sad as I was and I just I've I have days right now where I still mask because I'm embarrassed of who I am sometimes and I still have days when I cry because I don't really know what's like going on or if I'm good enough and stuff but I have so many more good days now and I'm the happiest I've ever been like I genuinely do feel happy now and I do have days where I feel like pure joy and get excited over things that I was bullied for being excited over and now I'm like I don't care it makes me happy and I'm more important like my happiness is more important than your opinion and so yeah I just I want to make sure that the content I'm posting does help people feel like who they are is is enough and you are never too much for the right people and your people are out there uh, whether that's your family or your chosen family or whether that's the community that's online because there's a huge community of, of us who will who will listen to you and support you um but yeah I had a really tough time with masking um and learning to unmask is a a long journey um and it's taken me a lot to be where I am but I'm so proud of the journey that I've been on and able to overcome a lot of shame and yeah, I, I'm just, I'm thankful for the community that I've built on my social media because um, I feel like the community I have built is really supportive um, and if there's any bullying or any negativity on any of my accounts then people just get immediately blocked because it's, I, it's just not a place for it and 
there's too much negativity online um as there as as much as having billions and billions of followers is amazing if you are not a nice person and you don't genuinely support the community then i don't want you to follow me anyway mm. so then i just i don't allow that to to happen <laughs> i went off on like a huge tangent i'm so sorry <laughs> no, I, mean, I do gosh. that i do that <laughs> <laughs> do you wish you could go back and put your arms around younger adelaide and say that you're not broken and that you're you don't need to be fixed oh god more than anything oh i'm gonna cry <laughs> i i more than anything wish that i could go back to me when i was younger and just say like you are okay like you are a good person and somebody will love you like you are like you are lovely you are worth being loved and i do i'm sorry i'm crying but i do wish that i could do that i really do um because she didn't deserve um the grief that I like that I gave myself, let alone from other people, like uh, she this that she didn't deserve to be spoken to the way that I spoke to her a lot of the times. Um, so yeah, I do. I wish that I could just give Lomi a little hug <laughs> or a big hug. <laughs> Are you okay? Do you want a moment? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, I'm I would good. pass you a tissue, but this is virtual, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just okay. That's all it is. Yeah. I, I like, I cry. I'm a, I'm a mad, mad, mm. mad bum. That was, uh, that was something I was called a lot when I was younger as well. Like, really sensitive, very, very overly sensitive. Lots of uh, tears. A lot of the times it was just because I didn't know how I felt. So, crying was the only thing I knew how to do. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't mind crying. I'm not really embarrassed to cry. Uh, I think crying's good. I think crying's good for you releases the the, the mm. toxins and whatever it is that uh crying does <laughs> i think there'll be a lot of people with with tears in their eyes at the moment listening to the, the the story and i think you're you are indirectly talking to your younger self through the content that you're putting out yeah because there will be younger versions of adelaide you know watching your tiktoks and watching your instagram so it's you mm -hmm. might not be able to physically go back and talk to yourself but you i without a doubt think that you're talking to younger versions of you just other people and yeah let's like that's my goal is to sort of be the the big sister that you can go to for support and comfort that i wish i had um and so to be that for the people is amazing like sometimes like I don't really go through my like Instagram messages very often because a lot of the times they're very triggering um because obviously I publicly was like in recovery from anorexia so sometimes messages I get and <laughs> messages I want to be reading but when I do read them like the amount of times that I've just sobbed because the messages are so beautiful um from people of all ages just telling me that because of me, they feel more comfortable being themselves. I, I've had people message me like pictures of them um, with like huge smiles saying, I used to be embarrassed of my smile, but now I'm not. Um, because I, uh, my <laughs> my, uh, my mum told me once, like this is not hate to my mum, I love my mum to pieces. Uh, but she did tell me once, she's like, my, my like real smile is scary. <laughs> <laughs> so I like practiced like a fake smile for the longest time that was like aesthetically pleasing and when I made a post about like my authentic smile and like what my real smile actually is the amount of people that sent me pictures like you've made me feel so comfortable with my own smile like look how like look how happy I look and I'm like it's amazing like oh, I'm so proud of you <laughs> and like that makes it that makes it so worth it like it's just it feels really good um when people do that and I I do read it 
sometimes I'll reply, sometimes I just like like the message uh, to let them know that I've seen it. Um, but it does, it always makes me feel really good when people do that. And I like knowing that people are like being more open about who they are um, because I think you only get one life and you shouldn't live it trying to please everybody else. Mm. Um, because you're the most important person in your life. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so true. And um, I think people listening will, it will take that away. And it's, you know, you really have to put yourself forward. You yeah. put yourself first and not, not let that people pleasing element, perhaps, you know, mm-hmm. put your own needs and your own happiness first. And I appreciate it is easier said than done sometimes, but it is, it's, it's, it is, it's the best advice. Mm-hmm. It's the best yeah. advice. So I, I was told when I'm when I had um, my conversation with my therapist because um, I've not I've been in therapy for a little bit now, but she said if setting boundaries with people and helping like for you to stop people pleasing makes people not want to be your friend, then they was never really your friend in the first place, and they were just taking advantage of everything you would do for them. And they're not the people that you need to surround yourself with. And when she said that, I was like, oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> uh, so if I lose friends from setting boundaries, then they were never my friends in the first place. So I'm not losing anything. I've seen it a, a couple of times when people in the community start standing up for themselves. And as you said, set, setting boundaries. And then they've lost friends because their friends don't like the new version of them. And they don't mm-hmm. like... Um, the fact that they don't just say yes to everything or they're not just mm-hmm. going to give them that lift or they're not just going to pick them up or do that thing. And it's it's sad to see that so many people who have that element get taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if someone's doing that to you, then they're not your friend. Yeah, then- exactly. And people who love you and genuinely appreciate you as a person aren't seeing this as a new you. They're seeing it as the real you. Um and if me being real and being myself is making you uncomfortable, then that's a you problem, not a me problem. Because I don't want to do the masked version of me anymore because it's exhausting and that's not who I am and I'm not happy. And if you love me and you want me around and you genuinely care about me and you want me to be happy, then you'd want me to be my authentic self. And if you don't, then you're not my friend. Mm, definitely. Yeah. I mean, when you grow, you're going to lose, you're going to lose yeah. people. Um you see that in all areas and especially in 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 this topic of conversation when you start standing up for yourself or Mm -hmm. you don't need to go as extreme as that when you just start putting in you know some boundaries and Mm -hmm. the 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 friends that were perhaps taking advantage of that nature if they go then that's not a loss no it's a gain (laughs) <laughs> yeah well, you'll you'll find another friend that yeah, does appreciate exactly. you for for the mm-hmm. for the real adelaide and the adelaide that has yeah. those boundaries and that yeah no it's fascinating yeah. you said a number of times earlier on that you struggled with friendships a lot when mm-hmm. you were younger and has that changed now yeah and no um i find i don't struggle as much with my friends or making friends if i'm making friends in like a neurodiverse community, I find it a lot easier to maintain those types of friendships because we have a sort of mutual understanding. Um, but I still do find it extremely difficult to maintain relationships with neurotypical people, um, almost impossible actually, because we're just so different. Like I can't, 
explain how I'm feeling to them or explain like anything and they like talking riddles and I'm like what what's going on and I'm not like understanding and I think I have some like unresolved trauma from being bullied and sort of like ridiculed and stuff uh, from being younger so it makes it really difficult for me to trust people who I don't feel have very good intentions um and it's like I've got this like like magic power I don't know <laughs> and I can like sense when someone has bad intentions and I don't know what it is about them but if I'm talking to someone and I I just don't feel at ease or I don't feel like I'm relaxed around them and I can't put my finger on why I just I just know that I don't and then I find it difficult to then engage and trust that person and it's usually neurotypical people that I feel that around um, and I don't know whether that's like an unresolved like trauma thing or whether that is just me having like a seventh sense, I guess, of <laughs> intuition <laughs> into people's um, um, intentions. But yeah, I do find it a lot easier to maintain relationships and friendships with people who are similar to me in like having ADHD or autism or OCD and things like that. And I wouldn't change the friends I have now for anything in the world. Um, I have friends that I speak to like once a month and they're totally not bothered. They're like, that's fine. We'll just pick up the conversation as if it happened 10 minutes ago. And I love that because I don't feel the pressure and the overwhelm to respond immediately. Or I don't feel like I need to be anything that I'm not. And it just makes it a lot easier to maintain those relationships. Um, but yeah, I think when you once you find your people, it becomes a lot easier to make and maintain friends. It's just finding them people is what's difficult. That's it. That's that's definitely it. It's it's finding your people because mm-hmm. I relate to a lot of that. Um, I've, I've probably got five friends, I would say, you know, and I haven't mm-hmm. seen any of them for at least a year. And some of them I haven't seen for 10 years. But if something really bad happened in my life, mm-hmm. then I would go to them and mm-hmm. it would be like no time has passed. Yeah. And I've tried to have friendships like... Uh, with with um and the expectation is oh you need to text each other every day you need to go for yeah. lunch all the time and it, and it, it doesn't last it does not there's not sustainable so i yes i relate so much to that and the, yeah. the intuition and the, the the sort of being able to have that seventh sense and do you think that's something to because this is a super interesting topic that i've spoken a lot about and i've in the past i've called it intuition and and a lot of my guests have have jumped up and said, "Yes, I feel that. You know, I'm mm-hmm. a great judge of character. I can, I can s- sense who the killer is in the first five minutes of a new TV show. All those yeah. kind of the, the, the I'm awful. Side. I'm awful to watch TV shows and movies with people. I'll tell you that anything before it even happens because I'm like, I can just tell. I know. Like, I just know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I, yeah, I think a lot of us have that like gut feeling, um, and I think neurotypical people probably have that feeling too just not as strong I think because we feel things so much more intensely that we're more attuned to that feeling if that if that makes sense like Mm. I'm such a good judge of character but because I'm a people pleaser I'm like it's fine if you want to be mean to me it's okay if being mean to me makes you feel good that's fine um well not so much anymore but even though I could tell someone wasn't a good person or I could tell someone you know didn't have very good intentions I would just ignore that because my people-pleasing hat was on. My RSD was, like, ready to be triggered. Um, And so now I kind of do listen to that gut feeling uh, because nine times out of ten I'm right. Um, Mm. 
and so I do I do listen to it a lot more now and I have a lot more respect for myself I guess as a person I respect who I am and I respect my own boundaries and I know that I'm worth more now than I than I previously did so I'm a lot I'm a lot stronger in terms of like being able to be like mm, no I'm not vibing do you think it's like a, a hyper vigilance um that mm -hmm. you're just like super aware almost as like a defense mechanism based on who knows you know some past trauma or something has just mm -hmm. made a, a certain number of people just hyper vigilant and super aware of threats essentially so yeah. you see like the little changes in facial expression or the little changes of tone of voice that, that yeah. other people might not just be so attuned to because they they haven't got that sort of like built-in self-awareness mechanism self-defense mechanism yeah I feel as well like being autistic so I struggle reading social cues and reading faces like emotions and stuff but I have incredible pattern recognition and so I'll know from a previous experience that when this happens this usually follows so when this happens this usually follows and because of that pattern recognition and being so in tune with your outward body feelings to different emotions and stuff it makes it easier to recognize when things are, are going that way or when someone has bad intentions and stuff um so yeah i think we are hyper vigilant to to stuff and then being very good at pattern recognition is is something that helps with it uh because a lot of neurotypical people wouldn't notice the tiny little changes or the tiny little like patterns that are, that are forming as much as like an autistic adhd person would mm. do, do you think the the um, hypervigilance and the, that being able to sort of have that seventh sense, but also being a people pleaser, do you think that can somehow wreak havoc and just make the, the sort of dating scene quite complicated? Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you go, no, sorry, you go ahead. No, 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 you, you, you go, like, yeah. Because you know, on one hand, you've kind of got, you know, you might be able to sense that somebody who is perhaps showing a romantic interest in you is being a bit, of an asshole <laughs> or might be a bit but at the same time you don't want to say no to that date so you end up putting yourself in a position that makes you vulnerable or or and it might not be them knowingly taking advantage of you but you might still be in a position where you don't really want to be but you just don't want to let that person down if mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah that is something that I've had a lot of trouble with um my entire life not being able to say no through fear of upsetting somebody or through fear of them feeling bad if I say no. I've been on dates, I didn't want to go on. I've had boyfriends for months that I didn't want to be with, like, because I was like, I don't want to hurt the feelings, so I'll just carry on, like, it's fine. Um, and it does make dating really hard because it it's hard to find a person who understands and is willing and I think I don't know how to word this with it coming across like mean but I think it's very very different for men and women in the dating scene because as an AFAB person men terrify me in general like I dating is scary for women because you have no idea the intentions if you're dating a man like what his intentions are and what he will do if you say no so it not only comes from a place of fear of what they'll do if they say no but it also comes from the fear of the rsd and feeling 
rejected and feeling then like the people pleasing side of it where you don't want to hurt anyone's feelings and so all of that combined and then trying to like go on a date with someone is really difficult because it's like if I do this am I then committing to this person even if it is just one day I've got to like am I committing to this person forever like I don't so it's a lot to like think about and and get involved with and yeah it does it does make dating and forming romantic connections with people really difficult. And I also don't know when people are flirting with me or when people are being nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of the times I think people, I'm like, oh, this person's really nice and I'm being really nice because I'm nice. And then I like leave that situation thinking that I've just made a friend or I've just become like a nice conversation when that was not their intention at all. <laughs> and they actually <laughs> wanted, they were like flirting with me and I had no mm. idea, um, which also makes it quite difficult. Um, because I don't, I don't understand flirting. I don't, I don't get it because I don't, I don't know what it is, and every person flirts differently, and so I can't like recognize the, the pattern in flirting because everyone, everyone does it different, and I'm like, I don't know when someone's flirting with me, and I don't have like a lot of self confidence, and I just assume that nobody is flirting with me. So then, <laughs> when I'm told that someone is, I'm like, oh my god, what? <laughs> and then I get flustered. Um, but yeah, so it, it does, it, it does make dating like really hard. Um, yeah, I never know when these where, where these conversations are going to go, and in a way, that's the you know the beauty of it. And now now we've you've got me thinking about my own sort of how I would f- flirt, and God, I'm awful at it. Um, I, I don't how know how to. Flirt? How would you flirt? God, tell me your best pickup line. I'll see if it, see if it, see if it's good. Well, I, I don't. I literally wouldn't know what to say. I mean, I'd probably <laughs> pull on some like learnt behaviour thing. You know, say some what cheesy one-liner that off the top of my head I can't think of now or or I don't know but I'm very awkward like socially and especially in a situation where there's like a a, uh, pressure to to act Mm -hmm. a certain way in a you know in a date you you might have to you know be quite flirtatious perhaps if if and I just don't know how to do that yeah Um, but I've tried in the past and and I think the other person's generally looked at me like what the hell are you doing (laughs) like are you okay Oh yeah, no, that's about, uh, I, yeah. I never know where these conversations are going to go, and, and uh, oh, I feel like I'm just giving you a floating insecurity now. <laughs> no, it's always go, been there. You're going to end this and just going to go and think about all of your past day and experiences and be like, I'm a bad flirt. <laughs> well, I mean, I've been with my girlfriend for f- nearly four years, and um, on our first date, we went out for dinner, and that went okay. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the meal, I just very like, took the, as a matter of fact, just said, um, "Oh, do you want to get a taxi home now?" Or and but what I meant to say was like, do you want to get a taxi home now, or do you want to carry on go to a few more bars? Yeah. And and, and we ended up going to a few more bars, but she subsequently said like, oh, but as soon as she said that, I thought that you didn't like me. I thought you were saying like, <laughs> oh, do you want to go now? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't Which, know. Do you want to leave? <laughs> and yeah, I can see how that came across, but that wasn't intentional. That was just me just completely not being able to to communicate in a way sometimes that shows my intentions. But yeah, I find that. Um artistic people and ADHD people tend to make really good relationships um, because they kind of balance each other out. Um, but yeah, so like having like having both autism and ADHD, like my brain is like constantly fighting, um, but it's like a nice middle ground sometimes. With the, the RSD, I mean, that, that's a, a, you know, an interesting one. And um, I think the, the, the awareness in relationships is key. I think that's a real sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, critical aspect of a successful relationship when, when yeah. there's something as 
you know as powerful as R- RSD at play and and uh, has, has that played a role in in your previous relationships yeah so the RSD like it makes like it's physically painful for like people with RSD to feel rejected or even perceive rejection that's not even like real and seeing like positive uh, interactions as like neutral neutral as negative and then negative is even more heightened and it has affected the way that I am in relationships because I just I get really upset if I feel rejected in any way and then it would cause like arguments or it would be a case of me constantly asking for reassurance or picking up on like tiny little like changes in the way someone speaks or the way they've texted me or anything like that and I just because like have I done something wrong what's going on are we okay like come like do you do you, do you still like me like do you still want to like do this do, like and it would just end up being too much for the other person needing to be constantly giving me that reassurance that ultimately the relationships would just would just fizzle out and then I my RSD would be like see it was rejecting you and it isn't it's that I like forced them to reject me because of the RSD um with the constant need for reassurance I don't need that as much anymore um I find ways to get around that and I do so I do struggle with RSD a lot but I have a lot of coping strategies for it now and it's really helpful um, I tend to write down everything I'm feeling or I'll get my phone out and make a video and say I'm feeling rejected because of this and I'll explain the situation in detail and then I'll come back and watch the video again either a day or two later with like a fresh pair of eyes and be like yeah that's not the case at all um, and so before I start like rambling to other people or seeking reassurance and validation I will just get it from myself first and then if I still feel that way, I'll then, you know, bring it up to the person that has, you know, that I'm having the RSD trigger with. Or if it's like actually being rejected, um, I will just kind of cry and talk to my mum. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I do find the coming to it with a fresh pair of eyes is, a, is, a, is really helpful. And I struggle not as much now, um, but few years back and when I was younger I'd struggle with like anger outbursts and not being able to control and maintain my anger because I'd go is seemingly from calm to extremely angry like so rapidly um and so now whenever I can feel the pent-up emotions and I can feel it in my chest I tend to just take myself out of the situation and I'll say like I'm feeling really emotional right now and I don't really want to continue engaging um if we can pick this up in a few hours or a few days when I've had more time to like calm down and look at it from a different perspective and and then like we'll reconvene uh, and being able to do that is is really helpful as well mm. no I mean it's, it's having that time between a you know a rejection or even a perceived rejection and and trying to put some time between that and the outburst or mm-hmm. the, the response is is something I'm, I'm, I'm really working on and uh, yeah. it's interesting to hear you say that you could go from the anger could just apparently come out of nowhere maybe to an onlooker but perhaps Mm -hmm. that's that's like I don't know maybe that's like a sign of of maybe I'm still masking a bit maybe maybe I I tried to hide that anger but -hmm. occasionally it just gets it boils over and and it slips and and it comes out in a big outburst Um, yeah but you can also have the anger be inwards and it just comes in the form of like self-deprecation towards yourself inside when you mask the the outward anger a lot 
yeah, I'm just thinking if if there's anything else that if you you wanted to talk about or if if if, if I've um if I've missed yeah, anything. I think, I think we talked about everything. I talked a lot about so I did my my autism talk. Um, oh yeah. At the autism yeah. show, yeah, I was so nervous that my face was shaking. My face was like doing this. Because I was so nervous um, when the crowd was insane. Like, I had such a big turnout. And I ended up talking a lot about RSD and ADHD and and stuff. Um, but I was really chuffed with how it went. I was, like, super proud of myself. And my friend who who went with me said to me afterwards that he was proud of me. And I just cried because I would not really heard that from many people in my life before. And I was like, mm. oh, my God, what? And then just started <laughs> crying. I was like really you're proud of me oh my goodness <laughs> oh, i'm so pleased it went well i mean just it's for yeah adelaide adelaide and i were talking in our pre-chat about uh, you doing your first big talk on autism mm -hmm. and and uh, how nervous how nervous you were and uh, oh yeah. that's so good i'm so pleased i mean that, that's amazing and now you, onwards to do more i guess would you would you want I to do more so. i hope so. so i had the talks on it's on youtube it went on youtube today um, so I'm hoping to use that as kind of like a portfolio piece um, mm. to send and for people to see and then come and be like, oh, come do a talk here. Because I did, I got someone who asked me to do one at a university, a webinar, which I was like, my brain's just not braining right now. Like, email me. <laughs> like, yeah. I was so overwhelmed. I was like, I'm just not listening to anything that you're saying to me right now. <laughs> well, I'll put the link to that YouTube if you're happy for me to You're in the description oh, yeah, of this video. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's, it's um, yeah, as I said, you never know where these conversations are going to go. And, it, you know, yeah. some of them are serious. Some of them go off on tangents. And, and I think this one's a bit of a nice mix. Um, thank you. For, thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Adelaide. That's OK. Thank you so much for having me. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.